We got you stuck off the realness The most infamous, you heard of us Official podcast murderers The show comes equipped with few points to share Grown man ideas for all those who care And wanna grow, so go ahead and download Every single week with a brand new episode You're not alone in this world, cousin So we share information and honest discussion And keep repping the culture like we supposed to They spread gossip, but they never come closer I can hear it inside their tone They talk about the industry, but never left their home You get laced up with bullet points and such Plus empowering topics that they never would touch You can put your whole network against the team But Super Duty Tough Works the MVP Most valuable podcast on MP3 Priceless info, but all of it's free So take these words home and think them through Super Duty Tough Work is coming at you now listening to Super Duty Tough Work with your host, Blueprint, raw and uncut, adult conversations, no shucking, no jiving, and no bullshit. Yeah, yeah, once again folks, we are back, Super Duty Tough Work, the most infamous podcast on planet Earth, this week. We have a special guest with us. I told y'all we was doing more interviews. This is an interview. And this interview is with Rocom. He is an artist. He is a graphic designer. He is also, more recently, a toy maker. And uh, he does all those things extremely well. And he uh, recently ran a really, really dope uh, Kickstarter campaign for his last project. And today we want to have him on to kind of talk about his journey and what got him there. And then at the end, we want to talk about like what some of the things that have helped him uh, run these successful Kickstarter campaigns, because crowdfunding is something a lot of people are interested in. But uh, a lot of people are kind of nervous about it. And so, you know, we have him on here today. And, uh, you know, I hope you guys dig this conversation. And uh, I know there will be a lot of jewels. And so, yeah, Rokam, how you doing today, my friend? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah. Thanks exciting. for being here. Yeah, man. So let's talk about like, uh, let's start with your with your your graphic design career, because that's kind of where I first kind of got in contact with you. You've done a gang of graphic design for me from T-shirt design. You've done book covers. Uh, how did you get into graphic design? Um. My my story career wise um, is is a bit interesting. In college, um, just growing up uh, South Asian, like there's always this pressure to be something, you know, when you're growing up, when you're like first generation. So yeah. you know, there's I feel like actually we have that similar background where I, w- I have a computer engineering degree, and mm-hmm. so I always yeah. had this minor in digital arts though. And so right out of college, I jumped into aerospace. Like mm. I had a job where I was working on like um, unmanned aerial vehicle stuff, just, just crazy um, kind of engineering projects for government work and whatnot. And so immediately I realized how miserable I was like, <laughs> you know, and within that job, I constantly look for the creative things to do. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if we're testing something, I'm like, Oh, let me film something and make you guys a video to like document this stuff. So I'd be in the editing room, adding music to it <laughs> just getting into that and it just showed me how removed i was from the actual work you know um so about six months into doing work like that i think all my managers they knew they're like dude you're good at this stuff you know this is what you should do but 
money had run out on the contract that we were working Mm. on. So that pushed me out of that job anyways. So falling out of that, it was this moment where thank goodness that didn't happen three years out or something, you know, Mm. Um, to where I would then went to these different companies that I'd been doing engineering work for. And I'm like, Hey, I could do graphic design work, all that stuff I learned in my minor at school. I finally got to flex it in, um, engineering places first so i would do brochures any print matter stuff i'd design that and so that got me kicked off first but i knew that to do really creative stuff i wanted to um branch that out into um not just you know the more fun stuff is maybe sports different sports things and like um or toys where it ended up being you know but if you're just sticking with engineering there's only so many times you could do like a logo with an airplane or something. Yeah. Um, and so I, what I found was there's these temp agencies that are only creative based. Like usually a temp agency is like, oh, we need a new secretary, call them in. Yo, we need someone that can file all this stuff. But they have agencies like that that are for people that make music, mm. um, edit video, create artwork, like all that. So I joined a creative temp agency and they know all the companies. So they know Hurley, all these surf brands, skate brands, and like they have all these contacts. So those companies hit them up and say, we need someone that does logos. Mm-hmm. And then they'll call me and say, hey, we got this, see if it's a fit or not. So doing that was great because I got to do a lot of new cool work that was in different industries. Mm-hmm. And then that helped build my portfolio. But coming straight out the gate, it's like, you don't have a portfolio really because you haven't done the work. Right. And I think for most people looking for jobs and creative careers, that's the tough part. Like you went to school, you didn't get any like serious work done for, for brands. So it's like, how am I going to break in? Cause I'm such fresh fish. Either, either it'll be, I'm going to get underpaid or I'm undervalued or something. So what I realized visually, this, this was the trick for me was when a manager looks at a portfolio or your website, they're just looking for some, they want to be wowed, right? They just want like mm-hmm. dope visuals and graphics and like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. And for me back then, what I did was I went into stock photography. I looked for the dopest photos I could find. Mm-hmm. I paired them with text and like did design work to them. But I knew that a good photo goes a long way. Yeah. So like, my portfolio became a spec portfolio of like all these dope images that I didn't take, mm-hmm. but I designed with them because I added text and graphics to them. And so when someone opened that, it's not work that went to any company, but they're just like, whoa, this stuff looks dope, you know? Yeah. And then that got my foot in the door. That's so it's, it's kind of a fake it till you make it type scenario, but um, yeah. it, it's, it's crazy how much you'll learn on the job. It, like anyone will say it, you know? Yeah, Once so, you go so, through it, you learn it. So when you were going through that phase with the temp agency, were you still doing engineering work or were you just, you were like, I'm out of engineering work for a while. I'm just going to focus on the graphic design. Yeah, and see I, I was goes. out completely. Like once, once I left that one job, I was like, I know I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it made it, it made it difficult in that now I was fresh and like, who wants a designer that just came from like coding and like doing computer engineering? Yeah. Um, But building that, that 
kind of faux portfolio and you and it's a normal thing you could do you just call it spec artwork mm-hmm. like this was just artwork that i would design for a brand even though it wasn't used you know yeah uh, it's how people can put things into their portfolio that maybe um, mattel hit them up for he-man stuff and then they design things they didn't accept it but you still did the work so you can show that off to people so. okay so so what was the adjustment like going from and this is something that I kind of had to go through from being like a salaried employee uh, to now going to being basically like an independent contractor. How was that adjustment period? It was painful. <laughs> obviously, uh, yeah. the, the first thing that's great is obviously like you get to make as a contracted employee, you're not getting health benefits, all that stuff that you have to pay out of pocket when you're not with some company. Mm-hmm. That's what hurts. But What's cool is the the uh, other side of it is that your pay rate is so much higher. Yeah. So being able to do that, it's like okay, you know, at, at a salary job, let's say it was, uh, it would add up to maybe twenty to thirty dollars an hour. Yeah. But now as a contractor, you could charge fifty, sixty, and it makes sense. Yeah. So in that case, it helps, but it depends on how many hours you're putting in and whatnot. The first job I landed through that temp agency where it was a big company that usually these people hire you for a week max or something. Mm -hmm. There was a company I landed where I was in there 40 hours a week and it would Mm -hmm. go on for months, but I'm charging that crazy $60 (laughs) an hour rate. (laughs) And I I, dude, that's actually how I started my first chunk of savings. Like it was this company that would refuse to like, hire on someone i think in the mm-hmm. end it ended up being a little shady you know yeah. um, but it worked for me i was fine with it I, like i actually built a savings just because of that job that's amazing so yeah. i lucked out that way but on the other hand it's it's scary yeah yeah it's a big adjustment that was yeah for me that was the biggest thing like okay what what do you mean there's just like no check coming at the beginning of the month like what do what yeah. do i do between the, oh i i have to go out here and actually make money or i will kind of starve like this is not cool yeah and balancing that where you know it's it's the it's what they call feast or famine right yes yes it's like you're either swimming in it and then or it's just dry and you're frightened yeah. <laughs> you're calling everyone you know yeah um, but it wakes yeah. up something in you too though that for me i don't know if, if it was similar to you but like yeah, yeah. you know i was always had jobs but like i never was self-employed until that moment and it mm-hmm. took a little bit of adjustment. But then once I adjusted, it was like, oh, wow, this is actually such a challenge that this, aside from the art, is awakening something in me that I didn't know was really there. Mm-hmm. You do know? you mean, is that, do you mean like the business side of it? Yeah, and- just just the, the initiative you have to have to not go back to work, you right. know? And- yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just structure your life to where um you become the business instead of needing a business to yeah accept you um i remember hearing someone say uh you know either work on your own dreams or someone will pay you to work on theirs yeah that's a heavy quote <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i sat and i was like oh man any job anyone's had you're fulfilling someone else's dream it's like yeah yeah so, yeah, yeah I real. think that immediately made me want to do my own <laughs> stuff. <laughs> or putting hours in some other guy's bank. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk, so you said you studied uh, some graphic design in college. 
but right. you didn't go directly into that. So I'm imagining, did you have to do any work to kind of sharpen your graphic design skills to work professionally? And, and if so, how were you learning back then? So that, that, you know, I, I mean, I went into college, I left college in 2004. Mm. So in general, digital arts and like those things, even like gaming courses and stuff, they're non-existent. Yeah. I think they just like may have touched, like dipped a toe into that in, in the colleges. Now yeah. you go, most colleges have like gaming places or digital art and stuff. So it was so um, fresh back then, you know, I mean, this was, this was like right before MySpace or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, so Photoshop and Illustrator, um, they were really, uh, they were scary at first because, <laughs> you know, it's so many buttons in an application yeah. and whatnot. And so I learned, I learned, I learned some good things in those few courses. It was only a year of work that I had. So okay, that's what was even scarier is like, I build this portfolio, you know, mm. I get, I land that first job and now they're like, Hey, lay out a magazine. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, I've never done that before. Yeah. I would, yeah. Luckily, YouTube was just every, you know, it was pretty big for anything. So mm -hmm. I would Google search in YouTube anything I didn't know. And immediately in five minutes, I was implementing that into a design because yeah. people that love art or love visuals, you're you know what you want to see. You know, mm. you know, when you look in a magazine, how stuff feels how where how the numbers are laid out and everything so the experience of it is all in your head and there it's just a matter of like how do i make that do that on the screen yeah. and so it's really just a search away so anything where how i got to where i'm now where i know all of it is literally just piecemealing all this research i did on the job mm. i remember um a magazine editor told me all right, let's get some pull quotes going here on this page. And I'm mm -hmm. like, what's a pull quote? <laughs> I no idea what that meant. But I'm You're like, like yeah, 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 sure. No problem. <laughs> we got to put those in there. You're so right. I, I search it. And a pull quote is, for anyone that doesn't know, in a, in a magazine, when you're reading it, you'll see those big quotes where they're in fat letters, where it's part of the main article. Mm -hmm. And so it's like highlighted. And I'm like, oh, okay, so... I just did a couple clicks. I'm like, okay, now you, this is how you make some text have the main body text flow around it. Cause you know yeah. how they punch in kind of, mm -hmm. and then so it's all there. It's all very easy. It's just a matter of like, how do you, where do you click to do that? You know? Yeah. So, Oh, I encourage anyone that, that wants to get into graphic design or um, is worried about or frightened by it. It's, you don't have to take any course or anything. Just like get the software and just mm -hmm. start YouTube searching or, or thinking of what you want to do. And there's someone out there that'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah. That's dope. That's dope. So um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to start talking about um, the toy part, like you learning toys, because that's something that's very distinctive and you know, you've been doing a lot of dope things. So uh, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. To all fans of the Super Duty Tough Work podcast, I'm here to remind you that my fourth book is officially here. The name of the book is The 10 Traits of Successful Hip Hop Artists, and the book is available right now exclusively on waitlist.net. If you're a regular listener to the show and dig what we do, then this book is a must buy. It takes all of the concepts and inspiration that we provide every week to the next level. Better yet, it analyzes the careers and lives of some of the 
dopest hip hop artists and breaks down the exact traits that have made them so successful. Then it takes it a step further by showing you how to develop those traits. For all listeners to the show, I have a special offer just for you. When you enter the coupon code SDTW, you will be given a 10% discount off the book. That's exclusively for the listeners of the show and won't be announced anywhere else. Again, coupon code SDTW gets you 10% off your copy of my new book, The 10 Traits of Successful Hip Hop Artists that is available now and shipping worldwide. So if you don't have the book yet, head over to waitlist.net and order your copy today. That's all for now. Back to the show. All right, folks, we back. We back. Blueprint, Super Duty Tough Work, special guest, Rocom. Rocom Toys, graphic designer, artist, toy designer. We want to talk about these toys real quick because your toys are crazy. <laughs> They're really crazy. It's really dope. You know, as a kid who grew up on G.I. Joe, Transformers, GoBots, all of that stuff. You know, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for action figures and toys. You know, like a lot of stuff you're doing. And so my first question is like, okay, you're doing art. You're doing graphic design. And uh, what was it that sparked your interest in toys and, and pivoting in that direction? Uh Firstly, um, I totally agree that there's this nostalgic soft spot for action figures. You know, I feel like <laughs> there's this age group that I don't I don't think Gen Z's anywhere in this. Yeah. You know, they'll look at us old guys like you guys are weird. <laughs> what is this toy thing? Why are they so special? And yeah. we, we grew up during this time where like our cartoons every Saturday, like our yes. our mornings, they're just built on these these properties that had toys yes. and so they're just like this physical manifestation of just childhood mm -hmm. and to have that you know now kids for kids it's probably like a manifestation of like a youtube channel yeah it's true it's true. um so it's something i always loved like i loved having a collection i loved looking for ones or really having an affinity towards certain characters you know mm -hmm. like oh optimus is my guy i need all the optimus toys or whatever um and also as a kid, it's like, you're lucky if you get one, you know, if your parents found one or, yep. or if, you know, un unless you had that nice childhood where they bought you all of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, which really um, happened, never happened. You, one right. at a time. You always had your, your few guys, yeah. <laughs> yep. that, or you had a friend that did that. You go to their house and play yep. with all their stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I feel like even that builds this thing inside us when it's like, oh, I have some expendable income. I'm going to start buying all this stuff because like I can mm -hmm. do it and yeah. they're doing it now. If you look at targets, I mean, He-Man is back on the shelf. Like yeah. if you look at the latest Transformers line, it's just like all classic 1980s, 1984, 1986 designs, you know? Yeah. Um, so having that in me, I always loved it. I always cared about it, but I never in my mind did I think I could do that. Like I could make that yeah. um, toy design is something that it's like, it's my friend told me once, he's like, dude, you have the job that people in movies have. It's like one of those jobs that sounds fake, you yeah, know, yeah, it really a toy designer. Work. It's like, no one's really a toy designer in yeah. real life. It's like a, in a movie. And so I had an opportunity when I was at that creative temp agency, um, they got me a job at Razor. So Razor mm -hmm. is that company that does scooters, the aluminum folding scooter that was huge in 2000. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so they're still ongoing and huge. Uh, I'm, that's actually my day job. I'm art director over there. Okay. So I, uh, I do ride on goods and stuff. But when I first joined up with them with their design and development team, they were working with toys and getting into the toy game. And so just as a graphic designer working there, I got pulled into that department and they just asked me one question. They're like, can you draw? And oddly enough, I was like, yeah, actually, I love drawing. Like I could definitely draw. And that's all they needed to know. So Mm -hmm. immediately, like I'd start sketching ideas for like toy lines that they were going to try and like jump into. Mm -hmm. Most of it didn't really get anywhere, but it got me started on that type of thinking of like, oh, toys are really, it's just a matter of like a concept of what you want to make. You have to create that in 3D somehow. Mm -hmm. It's going to be either a sculpture or um, something someone sculpts in 3D in the computer that is sent off to get a mold made out of. And then you pour plastic into the mold and you have your toy. So uh, once you know the steps and process, it's like, oh, this can all be done. It's all like very achievable. It's just knowing the steps of like, oh, really, is that all it is? Um, And I think once that clicks, it's just like, why isn't everyone doing this? And it's because it's so expensive. It's like, it's so expensive. And so, but to, to backtrack, like me just being in graphic design then slowly having this kernel of kind of knowing how toys are are done just through working there. My friends, uh, there's two main key characters. Uh, Kwong Lee is a close friend of mine. He, Mm -hmm. he's, he's a Safubi painter. So, all the Japanese vinyl toys, um, vinyl toys in general, he'll custom paint those. Mm. And he does these incredible paint jobs. So um, hanging out with him, he has a full paint setup in his garage. So he con- he's constantly surrounded by vinyl toys and just like painting them. Mm. And he had a friend, Justin Ishmael. So Justin is the other character in the story where he, uh, he was creative director at Mondo. So I don't know if you'd heard of that company, but Mondo does uh, screen printed posters um, for movies, artist variants. So like it'll be a Jaws movie poster, but an Mm -hmm. artist rendered it and it's official poster like for Jaws. So they started doing this and and Justin had um, done that idea there and the the company blew up. Like now it's huge. You know, they're they're doing music like records now. They're doing collectible toys, all kinds of stuff. So he branched off. He's doing his own thing, but he would hang out with Kwong, uh, with these vinyl toys and stuff. And Justin was making his own toys. Mm-hmm. He, he has cool licenses, like, like the Harry Housen license to do like um, Cyclops from, from uh, was it from Sinbad? Forget which movie that was, but, um, but he, he finds these cool licenses and he makes toys out of them. So pretty much like I'm an artist sitting here and I have these friends that are just like all in toys and they're doing all this. And, I grew up with Kid Robot 2 being around so heavy during uh, the kind of peak of like Midwest hip hop and underground hip hop. Mm-hmm. It was like early 2000s, Kid Robot was really big. And there was this weird mesh of that culture where it was like yep. vinyl toys and hip hop almost like kind of were always in the same spaces, you know? Um, and so being around that and loving all that, it was weird to me that, hey, I'm an artist here that I love drawing, but I've never had a vinyl toy. Like, why don't I do that? What's holding me back? And, you know, usually you think, oh, you need a kid robot. You need some big company to like develop your toy and believe in you. But it's like, I see my friends doing it. You know, they're Mm -hmm. making toys, like they're getting big licenses and they're doing toys with it. Um, 
it's just so expensive. So to wrap my head around the expense was that um, to get a mold made for a toy, it's anywhere from like ten to fifteen thousand wow. dollars. So you're looking like a small car, like yeah, you know, down just, payment on a house in most states. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> depending where you live. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that is what's so overwhelming to where it's like, oh, that's not happening. You know, um, a lot of people do resin toys for that reason because mm -hmm. it's resin you could buy yourself. You can create a mold cast and pour them, but then mm -hmm. you have kind of this fragile piece of art that's not really a plastic toy. Yeah. For me, I really wanted that vinyl to feel like, oh, this is Japanese, you know, this is Safubi. So um, I needed a character, first of all. I'm like, well, what's my toy? What's my guy, you know? And uh, a lot of Japanese vinyl stems from Godzilla. So yeah. Godzilla having these vinyl toys in Japan, um, that's kind of the first thing that kind of brought vinyl toys everywhere. Mm. It was all these Godzilla characters. And one that was never really looked up to was Jet Jaguar. Yep. You know, he, he was just like... <laughs> yeah, everybody loved him. Yeah, I, I love him. And yeah. we love him in the States. But when that movie came out in Japan, it was just like, yo, who's this fake-ass Ultraman? Like, <laughs> we don't want this. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, but as the king that I'm like, yo, this robot's so dope. Like, he can fly. He can, like, blow up big. He could shoot, like, lights out of his eyes and stuff. And so I always loved that character. And so... I'd collect them whenever I saw a Jet Jaguar, I'd buy it up. So mm -hmm. that was my dude. And I'm like, all right, a lot of art toys, a lot of things that people do is they'll take something they love and they'll put a flip on it, right? Mm -hmm. They'll they'll like they'll take a lot of a lot of the flip stuff I cannot stand, man. Yeah. Like there there'll be like a Voltron and they make it Mario from Nintendo. I'm like, who <laughs> needed this? <laughs> right, <laughs> what right. is this toy? So yeah. I, I'm not I don't I don't really believe in that as a as a clear path, but yeah. What I want to do is take Jet Jaguar and make an evil version of him. Like, okay. what if this was like the bad guy version of Jet Jaguar? Mm -hmm. So I was set on Death Jaguar. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a Jet Jaguar that has like a skull face, has an axe as an arm, like mm -hmm. just kind of do this bad evil version of him. So I started sketching and designing and drawing. And after I had my full concept ready, I'm like, I did a Photoshop. Like I took Jet Jaguar and I just Photoshopped all this stuff on him, like a toy. Mm -hmm. And that was my creative concept. I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do. Let's see if anyone cares or if there's Jet Jaguar fans like me that might be into this. And so Kickstarter, that's where it showed up. I'd never done one before. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to just pull 15 grand out yeah, you that's know, a lot of money. on a toy, like especially. Yeah. Now, it's, when you start talking about uh, the Kickstarter thing, like when you say, I mean, how big of an audience did you think there would be for something like this? Did you know? Uh, <laughs> did you have any I, idea? I mean, because I, I, it doesn't even matter how big the audience is. It's yeah. how dumb your thing is, right? Okay, because, that's a jewel. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's a jewel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like, the, the toy audience is there. I mean, the, the Godzilla kaiju audience is there. It's like these people can be there. And I don't know if we want to save this for, for the next phase. We'll yeah, yeah, yeah. About, yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, I do yeah. want to talk about, though, like, because you said you were you had friends who were doing it, right? Right. Who were, who were on different sides of this. Now... There's no toy school, is there? There is. There, there is, is there, now? Uh, centers of art and design. They've been around for a long time, actually. It's okay. just 
in, in, in high school, they never tell us this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they, don't, they don't tell us how many different careers you could have, especially creatively. So um, Otis College of Art and Design is one here in California in LA. Okay. But uh, actually, I think in Columbus, you guys have like one of the biggest uh, design schools. Yeah, um, it must be CCAD, Columbus School of Art and yeah, Design. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Yeah. Uh, all, of, all of those art schools, they have a toy design department. Like you wow. can learn toy design in all of those. So yeah. it's it's funny because when I found that out, it made me totally lament my my college years because I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I should have been in a school doing that stuff, you know? Yeah. But I think there's something fun about the path I've taken where it's really the like, mm. I have no right doing this stuff, but I'm going to force <laughs> like the hand and just do it. So yeah. uh, that's fun too, you know, yeah. however you get there. Yeah. So, so do people... So, so when you decide you want to do it, did you have to go back and learn more about toy making specifically? Or did, have you just been like the, where was the experience at the job that you, or the companies you was working for with that um, enough to kind of get you there? It's uh, it's funny when you collect and you, cause I already have toy collections and mm -hmm. I've been around this stuff forever. There's things, you know, about action figures or things you like that are still in your, in, in your mind, you know? even though like the mold making process or things like that, you may not be keen on um, just knowing your own collection and things you like, you know how you would want your toy to be. Yeah. So those things kind of help dictate what you ask a sculptor to change or like how to make an angle and an arm and stuff. And so there's definitely things that I picked up as I went and it's all really in the sculpting process, like, yeah. and also in the mold making process. So, there's, there's definitely a difference between doing it and just like having a certain function of a toy on a job or something, you know, because yeah. you might be focused on one set. But for me, I had to be the full A to B like factory line, right? It had yeah. to be concept, uh, turnarounds, and then, um, and then the 3D models. So turnarounds are a really important part in toys. Like mm -hmm. let's say you have an idea that you want to do a figure of yourself, you know, in mm -hmm. like a vinyl toy version. The first thing you know, are need are turnarounds. And all that is, is it's four views, sometimes five, if you do a top set, it's front facing side mm -hmm. view back. And then the other side. Okay. So just dead on, you know? So those are the most important things because any sculptor will ask you for those views because mm -hmm. that gives them a spatial like experience of what I need to build in 3D. So mm -hmm. getting used to drawing those is kind of an art that you learn in, in toy school that I wish I had done more of, you know, because I just had to do it on the fly and figure out. Um, but, you know, the more you connect with people that are good at what they do, mm -hmm. I, you, you must know this just from producing so many things you know you've got books shirts vinyl yeah. stuff. so you seek out the people that know the the things that you need done and you kind of split up the work so i don't know 3d modeling like i've never okay. done a sculpt or anything so i sought out someone that was just good at it from the mm -hmm. get-go like so my guy is stefan l and he is a sculptor for mcfarland toys okay and so that's his day job so he knows sculpting like better than you know any of us yeah. and so i trust him to where even if i draw something and he he hates this but like you know i'll draw something and he'll look at it and be like yo th what's this in 3d but he <laughs> figures it out you yeah. know and sometimes his tweaks or things he does it just elevates the toys so much more so it's kind of cool like seeing 
something flow through. It's almost like having a producer, yeah. uh, you know, take a song and then throw some more elements in and, and jazz it up. And so uh, it's almost embarrassing for me to show some my sketches and then show the, the 3D toy. <laughs> the toy is just like, yeah. those two are not the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So are there any, uh, I guess, online forums or anything like that for other toy designers that have popped up since you've been doing it that you may participate in? Um, or any communities? No, it's, uh, I think, I think the culture is there. So there's different, yeah. uh, there's different people making toys for sure, but I don't think there's any place where they all really communicate with each other. Yeah. I think Instagram, we see what everyone's posting and there's definitely a community in that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, uh, there's a certain toy community that definitely led to the success of my last Kickstarter. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. And we could talk about that. For sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with uh, part three and we'll talk about the Kickstarter stuff. Cool, cool. Be right back. Now that my new book, The 10 Traits of Successful Hip Hop Artists, has officially been released, I want to take a quick second to remind you that my first three books have officially been reprinted and are finally back in stock on waitlist.net. My first book, which is the making of adventures in counterculture is about the four-year process that it took to create my landmark album adventures in counterculture that book is officially back in stock my second book is word is blog volume one which is a collection of my best blogs and writing is officially back in stock and my third book titled what a night is a book about the worst shows of my career and that book is officially back in stock as well. Each book is $10, but you can get all three of these books for just $25. And you can get all three of them signed exclusively at waitlist.net. If you've been thinking about picking these books up, now is the perfect time. Thank you for your support. Back to the show. To all the vinyl collectors out there, I wanted to let you know that two of my most loved albums have been repressed on vinyl. The first album is my 2014 solo album, Respect the Architect. This album features guest appearances from Count Bass D, Elogic, and Midas the Beast, and sold out a couple months after it was originally made available. It's been reprinted again on yellow vinyl available exclusively on waitlist.net. The second album is my 2018 album, Two-Headed Monster. The album features guest appearances from Slug of Atmosphere, Wordsworth, Superstition, Mr. Lift, AC Alone, and Haslow. Its initial pressing sold out a couple months after its release as well, but has been reprinted again on clear vinyl. Both of these LPs are available exclusively on waitlist.net, so head over there and pick up a copy while supplies last. Thanks for your support. Back to the show. We are back, folks. We are back. Super Duty Tough Work, most infamous podcast on planet Earth, here today with Rocom Toys, breaking down the toy making industry from a professional, which, you know, they're out there. They may not talk about it but they're out right. there and uh you know uh we've been talking about just his process of graphic design getting a graphic design and then moving from that into toy design and now we want to talk into uh, talk about crowdfunding because your crowdfunding campaigns have been uh one of the keys to your toy line 
especially as you've mentioned, just getting a mold for a toy is very expensive. And this is not stuff that people just typically wake up and do without good money. And so uh, let's talk about like uh, you're, you've ran four crowdfunding campaigns so far. Am I? Yeah, right? I, I, four, I for finished my fourth one at the end of October. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about um, what you, what went differently between your first, your second, your third, your fourth. Like okay. how, how have, how, how have things changed between each in terms of like your approach to it? Because right, your, your right. most recent one, it was, your goal was 25 and you did like 85, 90 or something like that. I did 79, 79, close, close to 80. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's beautiful. 25. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so you've learned something in between the first one and this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I hope I, you know, I, it's, it's funny. It's like, I don't know if it's the project or if it's timing, like, yeah. but I definitely become more lean as I move forward okay. because, um, all, all we can do when we start anything is we kind of look at what other people are doing and yeah. we kind of mimic and we, we copy until we find our own voice with it. Right. Yeah. Uh, with, with any art style. So for kickstarters like uh you know you see all these different packages where people are like yo for a dollar we give you a shout out <laughs> or like five dollars yeah. you know it's all about this breakdown tier or whatever and um so for me i was like okay what what's the stuff i'm gonna give you know so there's the vinyl toy that's all i want to get created right this is mm -hmm. why we're getting into this death jaguar has to exist yeah and so to get that you know, I think my goal was $9,000 because I think the mold for that toy was about 7000 Okay. And you need, need some money to actually produce the toys, you know, because okay. each unit will cost something. So my goal was nine. Um, in the end, that one made like 10.6 or something. So okay. I'm a little bit over. It was nice to have some buffer um, because uh, you always... It's funny. I have, I have five points that I really want to push forward for everyone. So I don't know if I should just move through, through those in order. Uh, well, you know what? Let's talk about the, um, well, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, let's okay. talk about the five points that you've learned and then we can kind of, sure. that'll explain kind of the questions that people have about each one. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So the first topic is earn the dollar. Like, yeah, that that's what it is. So like you're at Kickstarter, you need money. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to earn that dollar? Like, you're someone that has this dream, but who's going to believe in that? Like, why should anyone want the thing you want? Yeah. It's a convincing game, right? So a Kickstarter page has to communicate that. Like if, if your Kickstarter is an image in a paragraph and saying, yo, give me 20 G's, who's going to look at that and be like, Oh, I want to give this guy my money. Yeah. You, know, you have to convince people. And so it's really about how are you going to earn that? So yeah, I always try and put so much focus into like, here's the story. Like, this is why I want this to exist. This is where it comes from. Like, um, you know, this is who it's for. So it's really breaking down. Like if it's a book, a comic, a movie, like really, like I try and put my whole heart into the description. Yeah, and then yeah. lastly, the video, you know, there's some Kickstarters that have an image and no video. Right. Like, uh, even if no that sense. video is you talking to a camera on your cell phone saying, hey, these this is my dream. Like, mm -hmm. this is what I want to build and make. And um, even that level of sincerity, if you it doesn't matter if you have this full production, you know, if you have a cell phone, if you just have some camera, talk to that micro talk to the to the lens you know and and tell people your story because 
that will hit someone way more than an image in a paragraph. You know yeah. what I mean? So um, let's talk. So, uh, but to dive a little deeper on that, you're talking about like that that introductory paragraph where you're saying what this is, who it's for, um, and and what the 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 goal is, right? How right. much time are you spending with that that copy right there? Like, is this you're not rushing through that, are you? You're kind of no. I, I think I think it's just like you would want to explain it to a friend. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be overdone. It's just a matter of like, make sure what like what do you want? How do you explain that in a paragraph? And it's not even the intro paragraph. It's it's really that video because mm. people are lazy. You know, they don't <laughs> they don't want to yeah. read your story, but. If you hook them with that video, they're going to read every word you put in there. And that's when that breakdown is important. Yeah. So, um, I, I, dude, I put so much into these Kickstarter pages. Yeah. Like, if you look at even from Death Jaguar to the recent one, which was Mighty Maniacs, like, um, I try and put so much content on there. Like, like here's all the different versions of the toy and what they could look like. Mm. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's disheartening when I see people trying to get their stuff funded and they'll be bitching about like, yo, why'd this guy get all this money? And then I look at their page and it's like they have one photo of a thing and they're like, yeah, they just put the name of it on. Yeah, <laughs> you know? people do, do that. Trust that. Yeah, it makes it a little bit late. It comes off lazy, right? Right. Uh, I always was told like and I guess I learned this from having a web store all those years, like uh -huh. the more details, the better sure right sure. like some people, people when they about that stuff yeah yeah and, and like you say some, like yeah some people won't even read it but if who cares <laughs> if it's there you still gotta put it there right. right and it's about it's about trust really like especially with kickstarters having so many bogus ones out there that are money games where it's mm. like who's this guy why should i give him my money and can i trust him with my money so Another thing is making it very public of like, yo, this is my Instagram. This is my Facebook. Like I'm a real person. Yeah. And like, if you wanted to contact me, you can't. And okay. so there is a, a bit of community in there where it's like, Hey, these people trusted you with their dollar, at least be available to like yeah. talk to them or, or explain to them things. And there's plenty of people that would hit me up on Instagram and, and, and before they pitched in, they'd have a conversation with me and they'd be like, Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Like, <laughs> I like you or like, I believe in this, it's real. Yeah. And then they'll pitch in. So yeah. um, earn it, earn the dollar. Like that, and did, that goes it, did, from all levels. did it get easier? So you're talking about the emails. Has that, I mean, obviously you're getting more people every time you're doing this. It seems right, like right, right. is, is the trust building as you've been going along? Have you noticed that the trust I, is getting I a little think, bit better? I think that it definitely helps, you know, after death Jaguar is successfully funded everyone gets their toys in the mail. It's like, okay, this is a proven thing. This happened. Yeah. And that's when I was just Rocom, you know, I was just yeah. an artist making a toy. And so after I built a website for those toys to live on and then going past that was, I'm like, okay, what's my next toy? Like then it was RocomToys.com. I'm like, okay, this is a thing. Yeah. Like what's my next toy? What's uh, we have He-Man, you know, what's going to be Transformers or whatever. Yeah. And so, um, I realized at that point I had, I, I always have more characters or things I want to create, but I realized how much community can really build the brand up. So my friend Tom has been making this indie comic called Henry and Glenn forever for the longest time. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a kind of a comedy like indie zine uh, comic about 
Henry Rollins and Glenn Danzig as like a couple, like living together um, mm. as like partners. And so um, people love the comic and it has this huge underground following. And he really liked the, the Death Jaguar toy had done. So he's like, hey, what if we do these anime robot versions of Henry Rollins and Glenn Danzig? So we did this like Tetsujin um, Gigantor, you know, version of Henry Rollins. And then mm-hmm. we did the Astro Boy, uh, Glenn Danzig. And so for that, it was such a departure kind of like it still had the Japanese robot vibe I had before. Yeah. But now we have like this indie punk rock vibe in. We have this very celebrated indie comic artist and writer involved where it's not my design. I'm just a toy. I'm just a toy producer now. Yeah. He is coming with the art and stuff. So it was his turnarounds, you know, it was, um, it was me kind of just guiding like, Hey, maybe we should bulk up the arms here, whatever for like toy purposes. But this was bringing my friend's kind of creation to life. So that Kickstarter needed, I think 15,000, maybe Okay. think maybe 12,000, something like that. Yeah. And in the end, I think it it got up to like 26,000 or something. That's great. And so, you know, that's like double from before. Yeah. Um, And I realized like, I would, you know, now it's not just me and kind of making up a character and hoping people like it. Now it's like a dude with a built-in audience, you know, and then me kind of coming together to build this thing. Um, And, the next, so the one after that, I worked with an uh, artist called Alex Pardee. And yeah. Alex has done, you know, he's done artwork for Aesop Rock for a bunch yeah. of album covers. I think he did some Def Juck stuff back in the day. Um, so Alex and I are really great friends. Um, okay. He moved out to LA maybe three years ago, three or mm-hmm. four. And we've always known each other around Comic-Con scenes, just like conventions and such. But after he moved here, we really started hanging out and realizing, you know, we have all similar interests and like, you know, we just love all the same things. So we really, it's funny cause the toy thing didn't come up really with him. Cause he's worked with kid robot, you know, he's worked with all these big brands. Yeah. But what I realized was these were all big companies that were doing what they wanted to do with his art instead okay. of him just being like, Hey, I want to make this a toy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that was great because we got to take one of his art pieces that he loves that I love. And we made it into a toy. It was it was called Future Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that had just dropped, you know, maybe this past year. Um, and that one, I think, got to $30,000. Um, and we needed, I think, the same, like, 15000 or something. Wow. Um, so so a little bit more of a, a little yeah, bit more yeah. jump, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it's funny because I have my five topic points, but I, like, I run off. But, <laughs> yeah, don't worry um, about it. <laughs> okay, cool. Um so uh it had been you know death jaguar then working with these two separate artists and then my fourth project i'm like okay i really want to come back to what do i want like what's my next toy you know because yeah i made these two things come to life for um for my friends but i really wanted to uh focus back on like you let me let me extend a line let me create something new um for my own you know creativity and so that's where mighty maniacs came in and um it's funny because this toy stuff gets so particular and involved and I don't know how deep to dive into that stuff, but um, one of the points of Kickstarters is um, your, your audience and like Mm -hmm. who's going to care about the thing you're putting out, whether it's a comic book or or whatever. Um, 
who are you speaking to? Because if they don't exist, then those dollars aren't going to come in from anywhere. Yeah. Um, so there's a, a type of toy called, um, called Glyos. And Glyos is, uh, it's like a joint style. So what Glyos is, is this, this guy named Matt Dowdy. Um, uh, he's, he lives in the New England area. He created a joint where he wanted something where, let's say um, you start a toy company, Blueprint, you have your toys. Yeah. I have mine. And we all have this Glyos joint on it. Essentially, if people buy my stuff and your stuff, they can pull those arms and legs off in pieces and join them together because they all have the same joint style. Oh, so wow. it's kind of like Legos, but across different brands. Um, so there's already 13 or so creators that use these joints through Matt. Like it's a patented thing that he does, but it has this is this big underground indie audience of um of collectors that buy Glyos toys. Wow. So you can there's a great YouTube video by Craftsman um and he breaks down Glyos really well. Um if anyone wants to kind of dive deeper into that. Uh but this audience was there. I reached out to Matt and I said, Hey, um, vinyl toys are really expensive. You know, even after making them, um, are, are you still there? Blueprint? Yeah, I'm there. My bad. My, my camera's on some bullshit. Okay. Okay. No worries. <laughs> I just wanna, I'm swapping yeah, it out. I, I Keep going. That's all it was. Um, uh, <laughs> let me get my uh, train of thought back. Yeah, so I bad. met Matt at a convention called designer con, which is kind of like this premier designer toy convention. Mm -hmm. So I meet Matt and he's the guy that patented uh, the Glyos joint. And the, what I had wanted to do was make smaller toys because Glyos stuff is like two inches, three inches tall. I've been making these like nine inch figures that cost hundreds of dollars to purchase. Like, you know, Death Jaguars like 80 to 100 bucks. Like the Henry and Glenn toys were like 250 because it's a set of two toys. And people can't just roll up and drop that money on this stuff. So I wanted to make a lower price point figure um, that could reach more people. You know, if you have 20 bucks in your pocket, you could walk away with something. Um, so I talked to Matt, we hit it off. And um, now, you know, he's like, sure, show me your ideas, you know? And this was a big deal because for me and in general, because Glyos, they don't have that many creators using their joint system. It's very much like a club of people that they keep very, um, I not isolated, but insulated, I guess, um, to where they have to vet you, you know, like if they feel your vibe or if, if they feel like you'll be a good fit or they can trust you'll follow through, then they'll, um, usually let you go through and, and make something with the joint system. So now that I had the, okay, like, he's like, yeah, you know, show me what you got. And then we could maybe make something. Uh, I decided that like Glyos has all these robots and aliens and, I really wanted to do something horror based because there's, there weren't very monster, many monsters and like horror type uh, figures that use glyos joints. So I started working on the toy line. And uh, so that's what mighty maniacs became. Um, it's something that was just this whole world where I wanted to essentially create my Ninja Turtles or my own He-Man where there's all these characters in the cast and um it was the biggest endeavor I could have done. Cause it's not just like, Oh, here's evil jet Jaguar, you know, yeah. it was, there's a hero, Johnny tombstone. There's the bad guy, Fireface. There's um, a creature from the black lagoon type uh, called fish stick, you know, there's yeah. like a character and it was there's a video game too, cat. right? 
then isn't there yeah, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. so you have a whole uh, a, a good guy a bad guy a whole kind of like a universe right and it, right. And it Just, comes with the video game where people can actually <laughs> play with those characters that, right that was the craziest element of it so that actually stems from one of the uh one of the points for kickstarters that i want people to think about yeah. is to create digital items um yeah. you know when people create a kickstarter they think of like here's my button pack here's the stickers here's the the pins like um here's the hat like they, they do these different tiers when it's like didn't you what did you want to make in the beginning you, you wanted to make a toy you wanted to make a, a record or something right yeah so every time you create these subcategories of hats t-shirts you're gonna have to spend money to make all of that stuff mm. and a lot of the times it's freebies that are thrown into the package so what i realized is like you're trying to raise a budget to make this one thing, whether it's the hardbound book, you know, the, um, an anthology or a movie, whatever it is. Yeah. Since, since that's what you're communicating and that's what you are trying to get made, that's what people actually want. When it comes to the bumper stickers and these other things, they're fun perks that definitely make a package a little bit juicier. But if those weren't there, people are still going to support you. That's real. So what I realized is like, how can you give people more things without it affecting your budget? And so that's with digital items. So I realized mm. a PDF, an MP3 file, a video game, these are all things you don't have to ship out. They're things you don't mm. have to pay more to create. They're items that people will like and they're free for you to send out. So yeah. I like to use digital items when I create my tiers. I'll, I'll sometimes mm -hmm. do physical items if, if they um, are easy enough to make, but I, I realize that's a big help in that you can give people something that's kind of impactful. Um, PDFs, you know, that may sound boring, but sometimes if it's a design document with sketches and like mm -hmm. good artwork, people will want to look at that. Um, I think the one I did for Death Jaguar, I built a full like 20 page coloring book where yeah. I'm like, hey, it doesn't it doesn't cost me anything to sit there and draw. So I'm going to do 20 pages of, of coloring pages that people could print out at home and sit and color, you know? Yeah. And it tells um, a story as well, which yeah, is yeah. further connects them to the to the project, to the property. Right. Right. Yeah. And the video game for this one, I, I can't make video games. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to do that. Like, yeah. you know, I already said that I, you know, I fell out of the computer engineering thing. Um, but that was something where a friend reached out and he's like, Hey, me and my buddy, we've been getting into this. And we kind of, he showed me a game where he showed me this like Contra looking side scroller type thing. I'm like, this yeah. looks great. I was like, I don't, what does it have to do with me? You know? And he's like, well, what if we took Death Jaguar and we made him a video game? I was like, that would wow. be cool. I was like, but I'm working on this other thing, Mighty Maniacs, and I think it would be good for video games. Yeah. Because, um, you know, 80s, 90s side-scrollers is a big influence on the toys themselves. So he said, dude, that sounds great. Let's, st let's start it out. And in the end, that's what we got is um, it's this single level of Contra style gameplay. Yeah. Um, but it's with Johnny Tombstone, you know, it's with like these graveyard backgrounds and this horror setting. And um, it, it was great because yeah. like them working on that, I, I, I did what I could do, which was create the sprites, which is the pixel artwork of the mm -hmm. characters, like background elements and images. And so, I did that as much as I could while they focused on 
the environments encoding. Yeah. Um, but in the end, yeah, I got this EXE file that at the end of the campaign, I could promise people, hey, you'll have a video game to play, you know? That's amazing. After so how long for this it. process, how long did it take? Because like you've got multiple characters, you've got a whole world, right. you've got a Kickstarter uh, campaign, you've got a video game being developed. Right, and you know, sculpting of and all sculpting the characters. Of all yeah. of that separately, right? Right, what, right. How right. long from start to end do you think this latest endeavor was? Um, it was it was just shy of a year, which okay. is insane. So it was November uh, that there was, it was a November where I got the okay from the Glios creator to be like, hey, show me what you got. Okay. So I, I go home, you know, and over December, January, I'm sitting there sketching ideas, thinking of different toy lines. I lock one in, show it to him. He's totally into it. Then I start developing the sculpts. And then for the next, you know, 10, 11 months, it was building everything. It was building the video game, yeah. making sure all the sculpts were right, um, figuring out uh, colorways and different things. And mm. um, yeah, so it so of all the years for me to be focused in doing this, it was 2020. It's a perfect you know, year. We, yeah, we get hit with a <laughs> pandemic and uh, I'm not supposed to leave the house. So yeah. I had a literal thing that I should be focused on and doing. And that's the only reason it came yeah. through so quickly. Um, so, yeah. so were it, you, were you blown away by the support on Kickstarter for this one? Were you yeah, surprised I, at all? Or were you just like, ah, it was, I expected it. It was insane. Cause <laughs> the, the reason is, a vinyl toy costs a lot of money. It's like a hundred yeah. bucks, 150 bucks. But because of that, you don't need as many people to buy into it. My yeah. new thing I'm doing, these are 15 to $20 items. Mm -hmm. You have to sell so many more to get to your $25,000, you know, goal. Yeah. Um, and for me, I'm like, I made up this thing. It has no clout. Like people don't know about it. Um, it's not attached to any artist that has a big following. It's just me, yeah. you know, on Instagram, I have 2000 people following me. Like even that is made up of a lot of friends. Like it's not an audience that I can just expect to show up. Yeah. And, but what I did have was I had Glios. I had this weird joint that I'm using for all the toys that mm -hmm. has a built-in audience. So it'd be like, if I made Legos and I made a special Lego set, like everyone has Legos, you know, so yeah. you can count on people buying those. So I really, I think the Glios community really came through and they're a main reason why it did well. Okay. Because uh, they were pretty much in from the get-go. Like they could have hated it. You know, I could have yeah. showed my designs <laughs> and they'd be like, not even, so luckily they did like it. But that goes into one of my points, which is market before you launch. Mm. Uh, it's about, knowing what audience would probably dig your stuff and diving into any place you can to connect with them. So whether that's Facebook pages that you join, so you could kind of communicate with people, share your love of an interest, um, you know, Instagram pages, uh, connecting with, you know, with Instagram pages, it's about like, okay, who are the vintage toy pages that everyone follows and they watch this stuff. So mm -hmm. I'd be DMing these people that own these juggernaut accounts of like eighties toys or different things that would connect with what I'm making. And so you build these little friendships and, um, and you just let people know, Hey, this is what I'm working on. Like when I drop this, can you help me get the word out? Yeah. Um, and there's blogs, there's people that 
you know, there's websites that, that you always read, but you never think there's editors and publishers for all those sites. Mm-hmm. Find their Twitter, find their email addresses, just send them a line just to be like, this is what I'm doing. If you're interested, I'd love for you to share it, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's all before launch. Like, so yeah. as you build this laundry list of like, all right, I'm not going to be a lone voice and letting people know what I want to get made. It's going to get spread through all these other megaphones. So that market before you launch is just it's super important so that you're not the guy that is constantly bothering his family and friends. <laughs> so <laughs> check out the page. I yeah. will say this though, they'll show up. Your family and friends are the first ones that'll be there to buy yeah. your shit. So a lot of Kickstarters, the, that is how it goes. If a stranger likes it, that's amazing. And you're very lucky when that happens. But for most Kickstarters, it really is the people that like love you and care about, you know, your, your creativity. Um, yeah. But it's possible, you know, if you can reach those, those megaphones, those like social media outlets, those websites, you put in that work to just see, even if you send out 10 emails, if two of those people are going to talk about your stuff, it's mm-hmm. a win. Cause it's yeah. more than what you had by yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So like when you were, uh, when you're doing all of these, these different launches, at what point did you kind of decide, okay, there needs to be a Rocom toys. And this is actually something that is actually the next, the natural progression of what I'm doing. Right. Right. Um, I, I think as, as a brand, as a name, Rocom Toys, that was just built in a, I have these Death Jaguar Safubi and I have these soft vinyl toys. They need to live somewhere. So mm-hmm. I, it was mainly building a .com. So the okay. fact that that was there, I don't think the true vision of it really came until Alex Pardee's toy joined kind of this gamut of all these figures um, Yeah, where it really feels like, okay, this is a collection of toys. So and then Mighty Maniacs honestly really elevates all of that to being, you know, now you have a line of mini figures, you have these robot figures, you have yeah. Alex's kind of grim looking uh, horror type figure um, to where it really feels more like this is a brand now. Um, yeah. So, so, so it, it came slowly, you know. Um, yeah. Are you also like, so you do Kickstarter campaigns and I imagine you I, I haven't done one, but I'm imagining at the end of this, you have a list of people who, you know, right. Infinity have spent money on your product. Right. Um, right. And much more than the average consumer typically would, because like they're early adopters and typically it's not cheap. You know what I mean? Like it's like, sure. you know, cause it's, it's smaller quantities at the end of this, you starting your toy line. Have you basically looked at it? Like, look, I've run three or four campaigns, been successful. Now I have a a, a database uh, email list of people who I 100% know actually already supported me already. Right, like, right, right. Have you, has that really kind of hit you? Like, I kind of got it's, a big thing here. Right, right. It's <laughs> funny because, like, I'm the worst about keeping the train going in a yeah. sense of, like, I get the thing made, I accomplish it, ship stuff out to everyone. And in terms of, like, utilizing that database to keep pushing stuff. Yeah. I, I, I don't even know that's a sure thing because Instagram, Facebook, you don't know if people are going to see any of that. Right. But people will get an email, whether they delete it or not, they'll get the email. Right. So those lists are, are pretty crucial. Um, I haven't pushed too much of it, but I'll probably have to once mighty maniacs comes in because yeah. Um, that's, I mean, just that world of figures is, is going to be so collectible that, 
I think people are going to want to know when new drops happen. And um, I'm excited for it because it's unlike anything I've ever done before or that I thought that I could do. Yeah. Um, that, that campaign blew up so big that I only wanted two figure molds made. It was a monster mold with three heads you can choose yeah. within the figure. And there was a hero mold that had three heads you can choose from. It was this Johnny Tombstone, uh, a ninja head, and then like a, a motorcycle helmet type head. Mm -hmm. um, that's all I wanted to create. I'm like, okay, with these, you can create six characters, but it's just two molds. Yeah. It's two body styles with, with three heads each. Um, in the end, after unlocking so many things, getting to $80,000, I have five unique molds now where yeah. it's like there's there's one that's like a double dragon style like street brawler. Mm. There's one that's a horror slasher like a Michael Myers, uh, Jason Voorhees. And then the last one we unlocked was a robot um, that's very much like Macross uh, Robotech, like, you know, Gundam type feel. And so now having this, the fact that this Kickstarter is launching five unique sculpts is insane. Like, yeah. I pretty much built He-Man in, you know, a month <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, uh, which yeah. was the goal. Like, I really wanted to have this IP and property where it's like, I love Ninja Turtles, all that shit. It's like, and you don't see it anymore. I don't know the last time I saw like a cartoon uh, for that age group that has that kind of creativity and adventure and everything's mm -hmm. geared towards adults, you know, yeah. Rick and Morty, Big Mouth, like these are rad cartoons, but they're, they're aged up and they don't have that, like that fantasy element, you know, to it. Yeah. Um, so honestly, that's actually the next step is a cartoon. Yeah. Uh, how, how do we make Mighty Maniacs an animated feature? Not feature, but an animated series that mm -hmm. would live on Netflix or Nickelodeon or something. Yeah. So it's that's the next intimidating thing I'm gonna try and tackle. Where I'm, you know, it's a it's a thing like who can have their own cartoon? It's like you don't know until you try. <laughs> so, right. I mean, you never yeah. thought you'd have your own toy. You know. Exactly. You know. Who, who would have thunk it? Totally. So I'm I'm really excited for that. I'm. I'm building that. I have meetings with a producer like twice a week to try nice. and figure out um, the scope of the season and the world mm -hmm. and characters. So as toys, all you have to do is make them look cool, right? But now <laughs> it's funny because I have a cast of characters and I'm like, mm -hmm. why do they exist? How do they communicate with each other? Yeah, so, need some yeah, tension got, and conflict. Right, right. <laughs> yep. And diving into the stories, it's really fun. So Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I want to... Uh, you i want it for everybody who's uh watching this on youtube we're gonna have rocom kind of show us some of the toys in his in his, in yeah. his collection because i think that will really kind of help hit this home so if you're just listening to the audio version of the show check us out on youtube uh youtube.com backslash super duty tough work and then uh we'll have him break down some of what he's doing so you can kind of see put a visual with, with the conversation it'll kind of help you uh see what we're doing it's funny because these are all like resin printed prototypes I have. Um, uh, so what's great about this figure line is that they use glyos joints. So this, this is made of resin, so it's not plastic, but mm -hmm. all the parts can be swapped and interchanged. Um, yeah, that's dope. Uh, depending on. So, so what you're looking at here is the soldier torso, but with the beast uh, arms. Okay. With, with, the, with the beast head. So like it's, um it's, so yeah, you can my, interchange the arms and the head? Right, right. So so like if we were to remove the wolf head, um, you can grab actually I made a death jaguar head. 
that you know you can put in there and then Dope. you can kind of put that in um there's uh so of the monsters there's a there's a wolf one there's an ape character and then there's a of like a fish kind of like a sea creature type yeah um and i'm looking for oh here we go yeah the, i got a 3d printer recently like mm-hmm. when i started developing this line and it's been such a game changer to be able to change the the 3d of the toy and test it immediately by printing it yeah. so everything i'm showing you i printed at home which is insane that's awesome because um, i never knew that that would be possible so like yeah, so, so that's trying to changes the whole process so you get to test stuff out before you have to get the mold yeah that's really sick right so like that's that's the ape head yeah. yeah i wish it i wish it would focus on that but um and then you know the the newest one which is uh these uh these robots we designed um are super fun and so that's what's cool is like you have this monster figure and then you buy <laughs> the head fell off um oh no the arm fell off uh so like so with this robot figure yeah, that's um Really What's great is now that you have these parts, you can, you know, take take the robot head out and you can have like essentially like a wolf in like a mech costume type. Yeah. Thing. You know, so the by by being able to do this Lego type play where you can switch out stuff, it creates this just endless um, kind of character combination type things. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to see after people get these toys, like the different things they're going to build out of it, you know? Yeah um there's that's a, a whole community in and of itself it could yes, be of people right. creating their own characters out of the toys yeah and then the sharing that so i would love to develop uh, a part of the website one day where you can drag and drop uh parts from the toys into a template and kind of yeah. see the different possibilities digitally i think that would be really fun um for the brawlers there's a, there's a great head we sculpted for it uh they're all kind of homages to to 80s um characters and stuff so I'm a big fan of this uh, Mr. Oh, T one. Yeah, I was about to say he looks just like Mr. T. Yeah, it's not Mr. <laughs> T though. I know. It looks. It looks. He's got the yeah, Mr. Yeah. T mohawk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's been really fun. Like I can't. We we just finished the molds for the monster and soldier. Um, okay. The rest are still being made, but I should be seeing a test pull soon, which okay. is after the metal mold is made, they pour the PVC and see what the toy is going to look like for the first time ever. So, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be the first time seeing my figure as plastic. So I'm, I'm super yeah. excited for that. So um, is it, is it too late for people to support and order? Uh, it, it is just for the Kickstarter Starter. line, but once I get them and actually have the, the production run, I definitely over ordered certain okay. figures to so where people yeah, can order you can from... still get in on the old stuff. Yeah. Okay. That's dope. Uh, but currently it's we're just on it's a waiting game with covid with with any delays and stuff but i've i think i'm still on track for summer so okay that's dope summer of 2021 is when i hope to have everything that's really awesome that's um, really awesome i don't know if there's anything else to show okay. uh the of the slashers um you know there's there's like a hockey mask head which almost feels also like uh lord humongous like mad max style wow um, that's head. dope love the jacket design yeah yeah so that, that was um it's interesting choosing a certain design for the torso or arms because you think about all right can we we reuse this in a different color what's it going to mm-hmm. look like you know so um it's interesting there's a balance between less and more like 
keep the details low so that when you switch the colors on something it feels like a jumpsuit a leather mm. jacket like yeah change the vibe of it because if you put in all the details of a leather jacket zippers and buttons and all that you've you've kept it in in its lane whereas yeah. if you strip away some of that it can play in different areas that's awesome man um those are the th weird things you know that come to mind uh, when you're when yeah. you want to mold the count you know if you, i don't know if you remember uh he-man toys you know mm -hmm. we'd get we'd get a merman right but then you get a stinkor which is the same toy painted black yes it's so true he was yeah. i always thought they cheated on that i'm like this is the same guy <laughs> yeah yeah or, uh, Be beast man and beast um, man lost man. Man. yeah lost man, the same mold um so yeah it's it's totally that same thinking where it's like we paid for the mold how are we going to get another character out of this <laughs> yeah you know? yeah um, like pay for it uh, twice like the spider-man yeah. <laughs> the evils and the you know evil version of every hero <laughs> right right yeah the he-man had faker it was just the blue right. he-man <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah man so uh so i'm going to read back these lessons that you were talking about and let me know uh one of the first lessons from um kickstarter is earn a dollar right meaning uh, be very clear about the value that you're providing, right? And very clear right. about exactly what you're doing, so people don't get, uh, you know, confused. And they'll be more likely to 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 pick it up, and that counts for you know the videos you were creating, right? Uh, it's um, it's also trust. It's mainly yeah. How are people going to trust you with their money? You know, because yeah. that's you're asking people for their money, so it's a it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one you had was uh, create digital items. Yes. Which is important. And, and it, that really hit to me because, you know, I sell books, CDs, you know. Yeah, you do uh, package items. Yeah. Album, physical product. But I have been wanting to pivot towards more digital product mm -hmm. for that exact reason. And that, like you said, it's easier to reproduce. There's no charge to re up. Whereas if I sell yeah. 100 t shirts, I got to pay to buy another 100. Yep. And, and you have the sizes to deal with, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, the whole, that's why hats and pins and like, I love merchandise like that because you can easily produce it, but you're not worried about stock of, I ran out of smalls. Like, yes. <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. Cause that's always the game with clothing, with t-shirts. So. Yeah. It's a pain in the ass. Then you had a uh, market before, uh, market before you watch. was another one um, before you launch. I'm before sorry. Before you launch. Yeah. Yeah. Market yeah. before you launch. So th um, th that's for what people who are like, they think they can just put the Kickstarter up today. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's to make sure you're not bugging all your family and friends <laughs> instead of like having a legitimate, you know, social media accounts or websites possibly backing you, you know, and yeah. within your friends and family, you could even reach out to them and ask, do you know of people at different um, magazines or online sites that, that are doing this kind of thing that you're making, you know? Yeah. Um, all that research is super important. Um, the other two items, I guess I didn't bring up. Um, one is focus on your prod product, which yeah. really refers to a Kickstarter in general. It's about okay. um, don't stray from the goal. So like, okay. you know, when I first did Death Jaguar, I was like, oh, a screen printed poster would be so dope, right? Yeah. Like it would be so cool to have. But in the end, it was distracting from what I'm doing. It's like, it's the toy. It's about that. So it's like, you know it's fun to branch off and make other cool things but the more it distracts from your goal uh it's okay to cut that stuff out like you can revisit that later you know yeah so focusing on the goal product i think is really important and make that the backbone of the 
reward tiers. You know, it's almost any reward tier that pays more money. Your main thing has to come with that. Yes. You know, just having a screen printed poster for $20, like I can do that, but now I'm creating a sub project where I have to pay to get these posters made. Mm-hmm. I sold those. None of that money's helping the toy. Right. So uh, focus on your product is important. And then the other one I didn't bring up is budget everything. Okay. So you can have a goal of like a, a toy costs $9,000 to make to get a mold made. That's fine. That's your goal. But if you look at paying a sculptor, you look at, um, uh, all the bubble uh, packaging material you're going to need to buy after to ship all of it. Yeah. Uh, the actual shipping costs, like to send stuff out. There's so many hidden costs that you really have to remind yourself of where your budget of getting a mold made for eight or $9,000, mm. that now is up to like 14 grand. If you're really looking at what wow. you've put in and what you're making, yeah. if you're financially okay to cover that, that little bit of padding, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but to really make sure you're not hurting yourself, it's good. You have to budget all of it, you know, really think of A to B after the stuff is shipped to your house, you're packing up, you're buying tape to do it, mm. figuring the cost of the tape. Like, and there's so many things you need to just make sure it's packed in. It's true. Um, and on top of that, Kickstarter will take about 10% mm. of what you're making. So knowing that you're going to get a hit, like I, I raised $79,000, but in my bank, I got 71. Right. Cause so, they took their 10% out of right, it. Right. Right. So keeping that in mind too. Um, and also a lot of people think that I had a goal of $25,000 and I made 80. I'm pocketing, you know, right. 50. It's not, no, it's not. it's not at all because <laughs> I essentially promise new things. I have three more molds I need made that yeah. weren't be made before. So I factor all that in. And then on top of that, all the people that bought, you have to produce all of that merchandise for mm-hmm. them. So it's, it's still, I'm splitting, you know, I have no profits, yeah. <laughs> but I'm getting yeah. to make all these things I wanted to make Yeah. You know, without going into my own pocket. So, yeah, that's beautiful, um, man. Yeah. And the budgeting thing is tricky too. Cause I I've heard of people doing Kickstarters and basically losing money because of all the extra stuff. Right. They didn't they, think of. They didn't think of. They're adding uh, all these promo items, not knowing how much they cost. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then they're like, mm-hmm. kills them. Definitely. It's because it's, and even in your head, you think of like, oh, a t-shirt, you know, a maximum, I don't know, $5, $6 max I'm adding on. Mm-hmm. But you forget that that's $6 that are it's eating right into your budget to take away from making your studio album or whatever you're, yeah. you're trying to fund towards. So yeah. that's why the digital thing is so important to me. Um, or yeah. if you do do those extras, you have to charge for it. You know, Facts. make that t-shirt $30, like make it whatever you yep. need to make sure it's taken care of and it's not cutting to your, uh, your overall um, goal. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Mad jewels today, man. Okay. I hope so. I hope hope people like stay tuned. You know, I'm excited to see any Kickstarters that happen because of this, you know? (laughs) Yeah. uh, So people, where can people find you on social media? Where should they be following you at? Uh, So my social media on Instagram and Twitter is just Rocom. It's R-O-C-O-M. Okay. Uh, Rocom Toys has its own Instagram focused on toys. Yep. I guess I shouldn't really push my personal uh, no, Instagram. No, 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 You're you just going to see me being a clown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, but um, Rocom Toys, but then also Mighty Maniacs has its own Instagram where okay. I, that's the first time I had to split the brand in, in a sense of 
Uh, Mighty Maniacs, since it's a smaller scale, it's its own world. I really mm-hmm. built its own uh, Instagram account. So Mighty Maniacs, but Maniacs is spelled M-A-N-I-A-X. Okay. Um, that's kind of like the trick spelling of it. Um, but I wanted it all separated so people that like that world can dive into that and it all lives on there. So yeah. it's almost like having Mattel. And Mattel, it might share some He-Man stuff, but if you go to a He-Man page, it'll be all He-Man content. So it's the first time I actually had to create, you know, sub-branding, which is exciting. Yeah. I mean, and it looks like you're going to be doing a cartoon for that as well. So Right, right. To have that separate IP. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect I hope, man. That's the dream. I hope (laughs) I can make a cartoon. Hey, if the cartoon comes out, maybe we'll do a follow-up or something to get people to go check it out and do whatever they can. Just keep me posted. Uh, I'll do what I can to support. You know, I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on this too. It's, yeah, it's man. really nice to to talk about all this stuff. Cause I mean, with quarantine, you know, I'm doing all this stuff and keeping it to myself, like in my yeah. room. So it, yeah, this nice. podcast is kind of how I have weekly conversations that I otherwise wouldn't have. Like you're saying, right, you're, you don't, right, I'm not right. seeing people in public like that. So yeah, it's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, the only time I think we we get to talk is if you are coming through town or something. I'll be like, oh, I'm gonna stop yeah. by or whatever, you know. Yeah, so man. it's nice. Well, hell yeah. Well, well, thank you, man. Thanks for joining us today, man. This thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, everybody at home, Rocom Toys, check him out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You know, uh, support this man. He does really, really dope work. And if you are in a creative field, visual art, whatever, I hope you got something out of this interview. And, uh, you know, we shall see y'all next week. Yeah. Listening to Super Duty Tough Work. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Follow the podcast on SoundCloud. Peace. Shoot, I got styles already that's more complex than nobody know about. I mean, Super Duty Tough Work. Huh?